Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is a preacher's dream, you know, a full house and especially a front row. I haven't practiced my pointing hellfire and brimstone finger in a long time, but uh, some of you are like, what are you even talking about? Um, I'm Pastor Steve, so glad you are here this morning. And um, also, because I don't want to forget it at the end, there's a really good chance you're sitting by somebody you don't know. So I hope once the service ends, uh, we need to keep, as we keep growing, keep Trinity small. That's the phrase I use. So meet somebody new today. I hope that will be delightful for you. So what a fun moment to be able to bring God's word to you just a few hours before 2024. Typically, and I don't need to tell you at this time of year, uh, we look back and we look forward. We remember, sometimes we regret. We have some hopes and we have some fears. But I'm gonna start us this morning with a look back question. Um, Jeremy, I'm getting some feedback a little bit. I don't know if you can help me out. That would be great. Um, so start with a look back question. Um, if you were to describe your walk with Jesus in 2023 in one word, what would that word be? So let's sit with that for a minute. That might be kind of hard. That's a pretty difficult question. If you're one of those internal processors, do you know that word as opposed to an external processor or, I guess, a loudmouth or a verbal person, because I can answer any question. Feel free to test me after the service. I can tell you what I'm thinking in two seconds. I'm not saying that's good or a good idea, but for those of you that are internal processors that won't even figure out my question until Tuesday, let me give you a little bit of help. So again, our question is, 2023, what one word would you use to describe your relationship with Jesus. How about meaningful, messy, purposeful, deep, shallow, regretful, sorrowful, growing, worshipful, costly, stagnant. Those are just some options, maybe an other word for you came to your mind. Once again, not an easy question. And most likely, you might say to me one-on-one -on -one in a conversation like, gosh, I don't know how I would narrow it down to one word. So why are you asking me, Pastor Steve, to think about this? There's a reason. I'm asking because I wonder, in a packed house today, I wonder if any of you picked the word delight. As you think back over the last 12 months, would the word delight describe your relationship with Jesus? Or maybe to say it another way, how much would the word delight describe your relationship with Jesus? Pastor Peter asked me a couple months ago if I would preach on this kind of unique Sunday between Advent and the start of a new sermon series. And so I've been thinking a lot about delight because... As I have the privilege of talking with so many of you and meeting with so many people one-on-one, -on -one, I hear a lot of statements like, I'm failing, or I need to do better, or honestly, I haven't picked up my Bible in weeks. I hear a lot of struggle from people, a lot of disappointment, a lot of expectation, a lot of I need to perform better. 
This is not true in every conversation, but I will say this for sure. I rarely hear a word like delight. Also, you'll see that your sermon guide is blank. That's on purpose today. There's a lot of verse references that we're going to go through fairly quickly. And if you want to remember those, write those down so you can look at them later. I would encourage that. And I have a lot of takeaways at the end. So basically, you've got all kinds of space to write down whatever you think the Holy Spirit wants you to think about today. All right, let's jump in. According to the dictionary, delight is something that gives great pleasure. Something that gives great pleasure. But this isn't a word we often use, like we're aware of it, but it's not a very common word. So I hope you're going to find this idea of delight, uh, this concept and this word really engaging. I hope it um, really makes you think today and sticks with you. And since it's not a word we use that often, let me give you a picture of delight from just this past Christmas morning at the Bailey House. Actually, there were quite a few pictures of delight. If you don't know our family well enough, we've got a 21-year-old Sophia in Iowa City, and she's home. Josiah's in Atlanta. He's 19, and then uh, Molly's a senior. So it's our first year as parents to have kids come home, a very first time to experience that. Now, I need to take you back a couple years uh, to, to our uh, high school son, so uh, dial that in. Some of you are right there, or don't, uh, have, it's not too hard to remember. So our high school son, a uh, couple years ago, was like, I'd like a sword for Christmas. Um, do I need to explain to any of you why we wouldn't get a sword for a high school boy for Christmas? I hope I don't need to explain that one, but... Um, to, to cheer him on and compliment him, man, there's been a lot of maturity in the last two years. And yeah, uh, first weekend in August, moved him down to Atlanta, and he's, he's killing it down there and pursuing acting. And so this, this fall, I don't know, you know, on Amazon like we all do, and uh, I'm like, a sword? Now, he wanted Aragorn's sword from Lord of the Rings, if you know that whole Saga, and that would be like $7,000 or something. I don't know. Um, too much. But I found a really cool sword. Go ahead and bring up that next slide. Um, so this is on Amazon. It's actually a Star of David sword, the, the um, whatever they do, engraving. Yeah, that's the word. Um, it's just beautiful. And so I got up my courage a little bit to ask my wife, Caitlin, like, what, what do you think this year? Um, and uh, she's like, yeah, go for it. So Josiah had no clue this past Christmas morning. Gift giving was going great. It really was a fun morning, a very joyful morning for us. And then, uh, and we, we will, so I'll open a gift and then I'll grab a gift for somebody else. And that's kind of the way we do it. So somebody gave Josiah the box that I knew the sword was in. And I'm just, I'm just like so excited. Uh, and he has no idea what's coming. And he opened it. And when he realized what it was, what do you think his face looked like? Delight, right? He just, um, and he just, like, for the next 15 minutes, he couldn't take his eye off of it. Um, now, I'm apologizing, parents of young uh, men. Sorry, I've ruined it, because they're going to be on the way home, like, Dad, can I have a sword next Christmas? Um, and we're trying to figure out how to get that thing on the plane, but that may <laughs> not happen. So... As, as this concept is maybe beginning to track a little bit, I'd ask you, how important is it to delight in God? Like, I'm really asking. 
Um, some of you might go, well, I think that's in the Bible somewhere, but obedience is more important than that. Some might say holiness is more important. Some might say discipline or self-discipline. Those are all very biblical, incredibly important concepts. Um, so how important is delight? Well, first, and I think Aaron actually mentioned it this morning, or maybe, maybe in our prayer time somebody prayed this, but um, first we're told God delights in us. And i uh, got a few scriptures. There's tons of scriptures about God's love for us, his delight in us. They don't all use the word delight, but here are three that do. So Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Maybe for some of you, you're like, Whoa, this is kind of a new thought of God delighting. I don't know, maybe it makes it a little more emotional, a little more personal than love. Yeah, God loves the world, but delight, maybe that does a different take on it for you. The phrase, he will rejoice over you with singing, I think of a parent um, when they're trying to get their child, their baby to sleep, or even um, as their baby is restful in their arms or sleeping, a parent, because of their delight, will just start to sing over their child like, oh, what a heartwarming picture. And we go, well, that makes sense for a parent, but that's what God says he does with you. Psalm eighteen nineteen, as David, King David, looks back at God rescuing him at one point in his life, says, he brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Uh, and then Isaiah 62, 4, like so many times, uh, Scripture speaks to when Israel rebels and then God brings them back. So in a situation like that, God bringing them back again, Isaiah 62, 4, the prophet says, you will no longer be called deserted. Your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called, like this would be your name, right? My delight is in her, and your land married for the Lord delights in you. So we could easily spend a whole sermon or a whole series here. Like, I think if we miss this, um, there's certainly places where God disciplines. Certainly God um, brings judgment because he, that's, there's that whole side to him. But I think often we miss this. And uh, man, if you Googled or did a word search on God's love, God's delight, um, God's picture of you, I think as people that are often so hard on ourselves, we just don't even see this. So maybe this would be enough for you. I don't know that we can really delight in him until we're convinced he delights in us. Somebody said it to me at, at one point in my life, God doesn't just love you, he likes you. Um, like he thinks favorably of you. A couple of verses come to mind. Deuteronomy 32, 10. Deuteronomy 32 says that we're the apple of his eye. Um, and Isaiah tells us in chapter 49, verse 16, that we're engraved on the palms of his hands. God delights in you. So what about our response? Uh, Psalm 1, verse 2 says... His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Um, this is the picture of somebody who just 
loves God's word. And the, the phrase that's very fascinating and challenging is day and night he meditates on it. In other words, he can't get God's word out of his mind. Um, those things are rare for us, joyful things. Probably maybe it's your spouse or your kids or an event you're looking forward to and you're just thinking about it all day long. You might even dream about it during the night. What if delighting in God and his word so captivated you that you just couldn't stop thinking about him and his word throughout the day. Psalms 37, verse four says, take delight in the Lord. He will give you your heart's desires. Often we flip that around. I want my heart's desires, then I'll delight in you, God. But it's, yeah, here it's very clearly delight in God first. We'll talk a lot more about that. Uh, Isaiah 26, eight, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. I love this one, because it's nothing God does. This isn't an answer to a prayer request. Uh, the sum, or Isaiah says, your name, meaning your character, and your renown or your fame, that's what I'm delighted. And it's sort of like going to the concert where you adore this or that band or that person, and you're just mesmerized, because the music is so beautiful or you like it so much you, you, you paid an expensive ticket to go, but you're thrilled because the music is so wonderful. And so uh, God's character and his fame are our delight. Uh, and then Jeremiah 15, 16, this one's a little weird and very cool at the same time. Your words were found and I ate them. A uh, metaphor, I don't think he literally took a scroll and ate it, but um, your words became a delight to me in the joy of my heart for I bear your name. I grew up on the phrase, somebody that really loved the Bible or was really growing, we would say they're hungry for the word. But that's this picture here of like, I, I want to be with him. I want to delight in him. I love his word so much. Like I'm, I'm eating it almost like, you know, when you're starving for a meal, you can't wait to eat. That's how you view delighting in God. So we've seen today so far that the concept of delight is definitely rooted in God's word. And in a moment, there's a larger section of scripture that I'll have us look at in more depth. But before that, um, let me get real for a second here because I think there's a real war that goes on, at least in my heart, in this area of delight. Because if delighting was easy, that would have been our answer to the question, probably. But I think... It's a lot harder than that. Because the arena of delight, I'll call it, is where all of our passions, affections, and desires reside. Now, hear me clearly. Some of you know me well enough. I'm not talking about being an emotional person or emotions, because we all have passions. We all have affections and desires. It could be um, for your flower garden. It could be for your job. It could be for a promotion. like. This is all of us, whether you're emotional or not emotional. And there's quite a war that goes on here because God made us deep feeling, deep desiring people, and sometimes I wish he hadn't. Because sometimes I think if I don't get to eat that donut, like picture it with me, it's Hertz Donuts, whether it's here at church or home or whatever, and you open it and there's 12 of them, and there's the one that you're like, oh, <laughs> get out of my way. If you touch that, you'll die. Like, if I don't get that donut, right? Um, or if I think my team doesn't win, 
sort of like last night when I thought Detroit beat Dallas in the last 30 seconds of the game, and then they didn't. Not that I care about that, but that could ruin my whole weekend, maybe. Um, I think of my New Year's Eve party that I've planned and the party favors and the table decorations and this new dessert that I planned. Tonight, if everybody doesn't just love it, I'll be really disappointed. I think if my boss doesn't like my highly creative idea that I've presented to him, I'll just kind of be devastated. Or I think if my spouse doesn't like the Christmas present that I got for her that I asked 10 other people about and researched and got the best one and she already returned it on Tuesday to Kohl's, um, that I'll want to scream because when can I ever get that right? Or I think if I don't binge watch the fifth episode of whatever after the cliffhanger of the fourth episode, because I had to watch it because the third one was so good and I was only going to watch one episode anyway, I'm going to be really, really sad. I think in its simplest form, at least for me, I'm going to own this, I think it's fair to say that uh, our delights or my delights will literally make or break me. Think about that for a second, be honest about that. Um, and th there's the whole gamut of good delights and bad delights. There's the delight of a good marriage that can become an idol. There's the delight of drug abuse and alcohol addiction. I mean, we do things because we want to do them. And they can make us or absolutely destroy us. So maybe the idea of delight is really, really, really important. Let's look at a passage then that is filled with delight. The actual word delight is not used, but the reality of Paul's delight in Jesus is splashed all over his story and his words. So would you turn to Philippians chapter 3? Um, if you're newer to the scriptures and you want to grab a Bible that's within your reach, it's about 85% of the way through the Bible. It's in the New Testament, uh, four-chapter book, Philippians chapter 3. And the, the author, Paul, will give a vivid description of delight. We're going to see initially two very, picture, very different pictures of this man, who he was before he met Jesus, what he delighted in, and then after. So in chapter 3, let's start uh, in verse 4. Paul says, I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, meaning what he could accomplish, what he could achieve. I have reasons for that. If anyone else thinks he's got grounds for confidence in the flesh, let me tell you, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day, I was of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that it was in the law, blameless. So Paul's pretty much listing his accomplishments here, and there were plenty of them. At this time, Paul was not a follower of Christ, but was a passionate, high-achieving religious Jew. You really couldn't go higher on the ladder of being a religious Jew than Paul did. If Paul lived today, in our world, he'd probably have a 4.0, and he'd be valedictorian of the class. He would have trophies and accomplishments covering his office wall. He'd be outpacing everyone for each accolade and each job promotion. He'd be the CEO or the president of a Fortune 500 company. Basically, he'd be looking at you in his rearview mirror, waving 
goodbye. Did you see it again in verse 4? It's kind of funny if you slow down and read these words. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Well, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, aren't you, Paul? Um, But as we saw, his accomplishments were incredibly impressive. If you ask Paul what he delighted in, I think he'd talk about his accomplishments and his uh, achievements, maybe like a song that's familiar to some of you, I did it my way. But then, if you don't know the story, literally God struck him blind on a road on a way to a city called Damascus. And over the next few days, as his life was totally reshaped, God restored his sight and gave him a new life, a life in Christ, and a brand new set of delights. And what if the example Paul gives us, one of consuming delight, is exactly what we need to hear going into 2024? So let's get into it now, verse 7 Uh, through 14, Paul says, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And not that I've already obtained or reached the goal or already been made perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been also taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what's ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So let's walk through a couple verses at a time this passage. Back to verse 7. Everything Paul says that was a gain, all of those accomplishments, he says, I've considered them a loss because of Christ. And even more than that, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things Consider them as dung so they may gain Christ. What in the world are you saying, Paul? So if you notice, he uses the word loss three different times, just in these couple of sentences. So we might want to ask him, Paul, why do you use that word loss? What exactly does you mean? Do you mean? So the literal word loss has the idea of a damage or loss or detriment or like a bad deal, like an unsuccessful business transaction. I found this in the Benson commentary, which says this, the word here used by the apostle, rendered loss, properly signifies loss incurred in in trade, and especially the kind of loss which is sustained at sea in a storm. When goods are thrown overboard for the sake of saving the ship and the people on board, which is the sense in which it is used in Acts 27, 10, and 21. And there's a story, literally, of Paul being on a ship 
in Acts 27. So this is vivid, right, what Paul is saying. You can picture probably any number of several movies that you've watched where the storm is so violent and the ship is about to break apart. They throw everything overboard. They don't throw the junk overboard. They throw things of great value overboard. Why? Two goals. Save the ship. Save the people. Everything else is a loss. So it's with, with this imagery in mind, Paul is using this word. And let me remind you, Paul is not talking about things he got at Goodwill or Salvation Army or a white elephant gift, <laughs> re-gifted, you know, put away for next year. Maybe somebody will take that ugly green sweater off my hand. Um, we're talking about things like a master's degree or a doctorate or a Super Bowl ring or an article published in this or that magazine or a book written, published, and actually purchased by people, an Oscar, a Golden Globe, an Olympic gold medal, maybe the privilege of being in all-state choir or band or being an all-state athlete or maybe that championship banner that hangs in Cedar Falls High School, Waterloo West, East, or Hudson High. Maybe a bumper sticker that says, my kid is better than your kid. I mean, my kid is better, you know, as National Honor Society. Um, or that $400,000 house you've saved for 15 years that you're enslaved to now, or you purchased now. Do you, do you get it? I don't want to rush past this. Paul hadn't lost his mind. It's like he had found it. But the things of greatest value, throw them overboard. Are you sure Paul hasn't lost his mind? Well, look back at verse 7 and 8 again and notice the phrases, because of Christ and surpassing value of knowing Christ. I love that word, surpassing. Man, it's such a strong picture in Scripture that year by year as you know Jesus, like your desire, your delight, your joy in him should only increase. That's what Paul's saying. He's known Jesus for a long time by now, and he's like, but it only gets more important knowing him, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. So Paul's making a massive comparison, a massive contrast here, and clearly for him. Literally for him, Jesus is his most vivid delight. Highest and really only priority. And you can just throw anything else in the junk pile. And maybe you missed it in the verse. Near the end there, he says, he actually describes these things that our world values so much and we value so much as dung. And yeah, that's really the word, what you're thinking. Next, he says in verse 9, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of mine own that comes from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. That phrase, be found in him, I love that because it's really a phrase of identity. Um, sometimes we use this in relationships. It's not, it's not a mathematic term, but it's like... Um, I. I want to be with you. I love time with you. Like, it doesn't matter where it is. And some, some of our love songs use language like this. I, I just, you're my everything. I want to be with you. And so it's not a time and space thing. It's an identity thing. Paul says, um, because of the surpassing greatness, my identity is fully wrapped up in Jesus. 
And then he says, it's not a righteousness or a perfection of my own. He tried that. It didn't work. Um, But one that's through faith, a righteousness that comes from God based on faith. So clearly, the kind of relationship and delight Paul's describing is something that could only be true because of God's delight in him. Paul's saying, I lived my whole life by performance, now I'm going to lay that aside. All the things I can accomplish on my own. This is tough, right? All the things I can take credit for. Don't we like to do that? All the things that make me feel great about me, throw them overboard. They're worthless. I'd rather embrace a purity, a righteousness, a relationship given to me by Christ. So if you come in today trusting yourself, give it up. I know it's not that easy, but maybe it's that simple. Uh, First, if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you're sure about that, and you find yourself You just continue to perform, hoping that God will like you if you're just a little bit more committed or you memorize more scripture or you read that Bible in a year plan this year and don't give up on it. And and if you're really honest today, you're like, you're kind of performing for his love. Well, you can't. Remember, he delights in you because he does. On your worst day, he delights in you. On your best day, he delights in you. you. You don't control it, but we love control. So give it up. Uh, And if you haven't, you know, if you're newer to attending church or newer to the thought of Jesus, this might be the best, well, this would be the best news you've ever heard in your life and in 2023 that you can know the king of the universe who delights in you because he accomplished everything for you when he died and rose from the dead and defeated death. Your part, not performing but surrendering, delightfully surrendering your life to him. You can choose that right now because remember, you don't need to perform. You just need to believe this. Paul continues on in verse 10. uh, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. I memorized this years ago in the New International Version 84, and that starts this way, I want to know him. Now, that might be a little confusing. You heard me say just a few minutes ago, Paul's known Jesus for a long time, probably decades by now. What do you mean you want to know him? I thought you already knew him. But it's this idea of surpassing, like, as much... I just thought of... If you have a favorite place you go to like hike or a favorite restaurant that you love, you love, you don't want to go there once. Like you want to go, I want to go back and hike that trail. Or you're like, I want to go back and try that steak. You know, or you, you know, you go, I want to go again and again and again. And so Paul, even though he's known Jesus for decades, he's like, I want to know him. Like more. What can I delight in more? Um, And notice that Paul wanted to know Jesus in every aspect. So first, I think we'd all sign up for the power of the resurrection. That sounds pretty cool to live that out. But did you see the two other things that Paul wants? He wants to share in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. Let's not rush past that. And then identifying with him in his death. 
boy, you really kind of know Paul is all in. That seems like such a simple phrase, but in a sense, I think Paul is saying anything that can help me delight and know and love Jesus more, I, I want all of it. I don't care how much it costs me. I, I don't know if this will help at all. I, I, um, I think of when couples come up here often in their young 20s, not everyone, but couples come up here to declare their vows and say something like, in sickness and in health, uh, till death do us part, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. Now, on your wedding day, n none of you would have thought that maybe 50 years later, you'd be taking care of your spouse who has cancer, you know, for three years before they pass away. But those are the vows we make, right? So I think Paul was so caught with knowing Jesus, he's like, anything, anything, so that I can delight in him more, that's what I want. And then verse 12 through 14, he says, not that I have already reached the goal or already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. There's a lot here, but simply in case, especially for the men in the crowd, if this word delight, if you don't like it because it kind of sounds sissy or feminine or soft, we're not seeing that in Paul's life, are we? I mean, we just heard that he would identify with the sufferings and the death of Jesus. I don't know how much more manly or tough or all in you could be. Notice again the phrases in these three verses. Paul says, I want to make every effort Delighting in him was that all in. Um, I want to reach forward, he says, and then pursue. Um, Paul was in hot pursuit of delight. We don't often put those concepts together. Uh, what comes to mind for me is, I remember when I was a youth pastor, going to some of our kids that were in track meets, um, there was this one young man um, who ran, I think, the 400 and the 800, which is one or two times around the track, and that's not the 100-meter sprint. You know, it's like you, you got to pace yourself at least a little bit, but this kid didn't know how to do that. And he often won, but like the minute the gun would go off, he would like, you could just see he ran with all of him. Um, I, every time he ran, I couldn't wait until the 400 or the 800 because I was just glued to him. I mean, all the, all the other runners gave effort but he gave a different effort, um, and whether he won or not, like I said, I was just glued to him because of his pursuit of winning uh, the race. So I hope that you're seeing today in Paul's story, in verse 7 through 14, that he has come to a place in his life where none of the glitter of this life or the power that we can pursue, or the accomplishments, or the applause of this life means anything. Because he is convinced of the surpassing greatness, the surpassing delight of knowing Jesus. So, how important is delight for us? 
Well, I think the Apostle Paul would cry out, there's nothing more important. All right, ready for a few practical steps? Um, I've got just a bunch of thoughts all over the place, and maybe you've already thought you know what to do with this idea of delay. You've already heard from the Holy Spirit. That's great. That's probably better, but I'll throw a few thoughts for you. First, so in 2024, uh, if we were dedicated to delighting God, what might that look like? First, um, delight goes hand in hand with a bunch of verses in Scripture, and I've given you two here, Philippians 4.8 and Ephesians 5, uh, one through five. Uh, let me read Philippians 4.8 for you and then explain um, how this could be a takeaway. So Philippians 4.8 says this, listen close. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. We have quite a calling in Scripture to think pure thoughts, high thoughts, holy thoughts, thoughts of God, thoughts of life. Unfortunately, our world around us often encourages us to complain, worry, be anxious, swear, whatever it might be, right? And sometimes we can leave church and wander right back into the yuck. Here are a few examples because I've heard some of you say these. Um, Some of you are already freaking out over the election that's coming November. I know, because I've talked to you about it. And you can't not think about it. How helpful is that for you? I'm not saying ignoring it. I don't say don't vote. I'm not saying it's not important. But if it consumes your thinking, you'll never delight in the Lord. You just won't. It'll be a year of politics, not delight. Um, Somebody said to me this week, like, I listen to this edgy podcast that's very popular, but I probably ought to just dump that. Like, it's really a waste of my time. And then I'll just, you know, social media, you got to throw that up there because let me just ask you, when you get off of your time in social media, whether it's 20 minutes or three hours, do you feel full of delight? I'm asking, like, are you peaceful? Are you more hopeful? Here's what Ephesians 5, 1 through 5 says. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. There's another delight, God delighting in us. And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God. Ready? Verse 3. But among you, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. It doesn't mean doing it. It means a hint. So run your movie schedule through that. Run your show through that. There shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. These are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, because these are out of place. Instead, there should be thanksgiving. So if you're not doing very well with these, you're not going to be a person of delight. Something might have to go. Secondly, When you delight in something or someone, I really like this one, often time becomes irrelevant. If you like to do woodworking, you know, your wife, I'm assuming that's stereotyping, your wife or husband might have to come get you in the garage or in the basement like you've been down there for four hours. Or if you like flowers or if you like cars or spending time with a dear friend, you're like, oh my goodness, three hours has gone by. Um, Can you imagine, imagine, imagine going out on a date night 
and uh, your girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, whoever, you know, you get in the car and you got the plan and you're both so excited and you're, you get in the car and you're like, um, I have like six demands of how tonight's going to go for it to work out right. Well, you've ruined the whole night then, haven't you? Um, so, so this picture, when you spend time with Jesus, do you lose track of time? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And, and let me say this one clearly. I don't want to lose some of you. Some of you love to do the Bible in a year program. Maybe you just don't this year. Because I know what I hear often is like, you, have, you know if you're prideful or not, but like, hey, this is like my 16th year of reading the Bible. <sighs> Can I polish up my perfect, you know? Uh, or, or you tried to do it this year. And it's the 31st, and uh, you haven't gotten to the New Testament yet. So what do you feel? Guilty? Not delightful? Did you delight in the Old Testament? No. So this picture of, maybe this is what you need to hear today, that your time with Jesus, whether it's 10 minutes or 10 hours, um, put, put the phone, put your eye, whatever, put it like delight in time with him. Third, um, this is a simple one. If you were to, uh, on Bible Gateway or Google or whatever, just search hopeful biblical terms like, like hope or like joy or like delight or like rejoicing. Got all of the verses and just did a personal study, you and Jesus, on all the hopeful words, the words of joy, the words of delight in Scripture would help you delight in him more. Uh, fourth, what if the... Thing, the show, the app, the podcast, the habit, the to-do list priority that will take hundreds of your, hundreds of hours of your 2024. What if you honestly thought about the value of that? And I'm not, I'm saying you might keep it, you might not. Maybe, maybe even thousands of hours. Uh, and I don't know if the thing, show, app, podcast, habit, or whatever is even a bad thing. I'm just saying, what if you did less of that or eliminated some of that and you replace that by hundreds of hours, maybe thousands of hours of delight. Next one, um, it's very hard to delight in several things at once. Like, can you multitask delight? Here's my example, and I'll explain it a little bit more. Um, I loved our singing this morning, loved it, loved it, loved it. I also really enjoy watching football. Um, so if in the middle of Aaron leading us and all these great instruments and Jenny playing on the cello, um, a football game I was really interested was flashed up on the screen, um, where did my delight go? It's replaced by frustration, right? Wait a minute, those are two things you delight in. Yeah, but I can't do them at the same time. Um, so, so here's this picture. Um, let me say this too. It, I think it's very hard to delight in God um, and add something onto that. I do this all the time. God, I'm trying to delight in you, but, but, but there's this financial thing that I can't stop worrying about. I want to delight in you, but I want this response from my wife or my, my kids. I want to delight in you, but I need this to happen. So when you delight but add, what happens to your delight? It goes away. Um, so maybe a simple way for this bullet point is don't delight in demand. Um, 
Delight, again, is such a personal thing. Like, like uh, let's go back to the marriage setting, you know, when that couple's giving their vows. What, what if the best man steps in and goes, hey, can I be a part of this? Like, how dumb and inappropriate is that? No, that's for them. And when you go to the wedding, at least I, I love to watch the couple. Like, I'm just riveted on the couple and their story and how they look at each other. Um, I don't think you can delight in several things at once. That's often, I think, why married couples, um, the, the wedding day is sort of a blur because they want to talk to Aunt Jenny and please this person and that person. They kind of miss their spouse. Hopefully you get what I'm, get what I'm saying here. Last one, uh, and of course I would say this, um, probably no matter what I preach on, this is going to be my last takeaway. Um, if you're, especially if you're intrigued by this idea of delight and you're like, oh, man, this is important, but I really, it's kind of a brand new, like, how do I do this? So, okay, small group leaders, talk about it in your small group. Please talk about it in your small group. Don't look for specific answers, but like, take a couple hours and go, what does that look like for you? If you're in a one-on-one -on -one discipling relationship, talk about it this week or the next time you meet. What is delight? look like. If you just have a great friendship here at Trinity, go to Panera this week and talk to that person. How do you delight in God? And then um, there are a lot of people here at Trinity, I think, that just pour out Jesus and delight. So I share, you may know who this is. I share it anonymously with permission. Um, I was going to say, somebody that you know that delights in God, just Find them and go, can I spend some time with you? Can we have you over for dinner? I want to hear you talk about how much you delight in God. The person I'm thinking of, about a month and a half ago, I think, I was here at Trinity. There were a bunch of people. There were some volunteers. This woman in our church was volunteering. And lo and behold, what happens, her car was just parked right out here, and um, her purse was in the back, and some nice neighborly young men uh, knocked out a window and stole her purse. Um, and it just happened in a blink, and, uh, and then, of course, we found out about it, and a couple days later, so, you know, your purse is gone, you have to get all your cards redone, you got to get a new window, and like, that would ruin some of us, right? So a couple days later, I called this woman, I'm like, how are you doing? You know what poured out of this person? God did this, and God did this, and I'm so thankful for this, and I'm so happy, and I'm like, do you not know your car was smashed and broken into? That's not her heart, and in the time I've known her, that's never her heart, because she knows how to delight in Jesus and throw everything else overboard. Would you pray with me? <laughs> Father God, um, what hope would we have if you did not delight in us? Um, oh, it's so wonderful, so rich, so amazing. Um, and yet, God, we, I, I am a fickle person. Some of the glittery things, some of the accomplishments, some of the things, some of the, hey, did you notice I did that seems so attractive in a moment. God, you, you not are just amazing at delighting in us. You're so patient, um, withdrawing us, and so would today. Um, I want to pray big, God, for every person here. Um, would some of the heaviness of following you or the hardness fade away into delight? 
for God, for some people that really need to get rid of this thing or that thing to just cut it out of their life, would you give them the courage? Um, God, would there just be many conversations this week um, as we wrestle this out and would, would we long, um, even today, even this afternoon, to just steal away for a half hour and think of what delighting in you means? God, we need your help. We'll fail at this unless you pour your spirit out. So would you do that as we respond? In Jesus' name, amen.